0: Welcome back to the Suzanne Venker Show, where men and women are equal in value but wildly different by nature. Join us here every week when we challenge the culture's hugely flawed narratives regarding men, women, sex, and love. This program is brought to you in part by Let's Get Real, where forensic accountant Tiffany Couch uses her financial skills to shine the light on the real issues we all face every day. If you would like to make decisions based on facts and information, rather than on rhetoric and cultural pressures, go to letsgetreallife.com, a place where you can find tools to improve your communication skills and to increase your connection to humanity. That's letsgetreallife.com. And speaking of Let's Get Real, today we're talking to the author of that site, Tiffany Couch, about her own story of having once drunk the Kool-Aid, but ultimately turned her life around and is now dedicated to helping others who want to face the truth about what really matters in life. We'll be talking to Tiffany in a moment, but first, as some of you may know, I've moved the Suzanne Venker Show from the hair saloon corporate offices to my home, and I'm in great need of patron support. The only way countercultural ideas and information can spread is for those of us who represent the silent majority to work together. Podcasts are a great way to push back against the lies the culture tells, but I need your help. Just go to the com and scroll down until you see the Become a Patron button. There are four very economical levels, and if you have a business you want to promote, there's even an option for that. Finally, if you or someone you know is looking for marriage or relationship coaching, go to my website, com and click on Coaching at the top. There's even a newly married four-session package designed to help help you save your marriage before it starts by highlighting the four main potential stressors of every marriage. If you can resolve those now so they don't become a problem later, you're well on your way to a successful marriage. One of the things I want to start doing at the Suzanne Benker Show is to highlight everyday Americans who have stories to tell that you would never hear in the media. In some cases, this may be due to the fact that the person isn't prominent enough to create attention in media circles. Other times, a person is well-known by members of the media, but the story or message he or she has to tell conflicts with the message the media wanted to sell. <laughs> I'm a textbook example of the latter, but that's a story for a different day. I have with me today wife, mother, author, and successful business owner Tiffany Couch, who wants people to know that everything we've been told in the culture is a lie. On my way to getting real, Tiffany writes, I realized I was headed down a path where my gravestone would read, Great Forensic Accountant. ...and would say nothing about what really matters. Most importantly, I'm a wife to a great husband. We've been married more than 23 years, and on my way to fame and fortune... ...I almost lost this marriage, and so much more. I traded success and money for my children's time and attention. After all, isn't that what successful women are supposed to do? While my job is looking at numbers, interpreting them and explaining them... ...so that people like judges, lawyers, clients, and juries can make important decisions... I find my real passion is explaining tough concepts to people in a way they can understand, and that's what I want to do at Let's Get Real. Welcome to the show, Tiffany. Thank you so much, Suzanne. I'm so excited to talk with you.
1: I'm so, so happy to be here.
0: Awesome. So I just let's just begin by you introducing yourself, who you are, um, and why you reached out to me, and, and I think that'll be really obvious then why you're here with 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 us today.
1: Sure so i i was introduced to you through um actually i was listening to dr laura about a year ago she mentioned you and i thought oh i'm going to go listen to another voice that is a voice that has see what this woman is all about and i was turned on to your podcast have been loving uh, listening to your podcast and um you mentioned a few weeks ago about patreon And I thought, oh, I'm going to go check that out. And I did. And um, I decided that, you know, voices like yours, we need to absolutely support each other. And I wanted to support you. I'm a successful businesswoman myself. Uh, I'm a forensic accountant. And I'm also starting a new little venture called Let's Get Real, And I thought, oh my gosh, what a great opportunity to support another woman who has a really great voice and a voice that needs to be heard more than ever today. Awesome. Love it. And I'm so
0: appreciative of that, Tiffany. And I think, again, it's going to become really clear why we're sort of a match and you've become a supporter as as we get going along here. So let's begin by telling people what the heck is a forensic (laughs) accountant. (laughs)
1: I'm a non-traditional CPA, Certified Public Accountant. So most people, I think, think about accountants who do taxes or do financial statement audits. But 100% of what I do is um, investigate white-collar crime. I investigate people who steal money from their employers. I am often called as an expert in court when people uh, have disputes and the disputes concern money and they need uh, an accounting expert to figure out what's going on with the money. And I speak and teach and even wrote a book about fraud and forensic accounting and um, teach other people, you know, about how to do what I do. Okay. So, and you've been doing this
0: for a long time and now we're going to get into the meat of it. meat of it in terms of explaining your story with your career and how it bumped up against your personal life and then take us through that and then how you got to this website that you're committed to today.
1: Awesome. Awesome. So, um yes, I became a very successful person. You know, I started my business 13 years ago out of necessity. I was working for a big firm, loved my job and had a really bad boss. And ended up actually blowing the whistle on that guy and deciding, you know, I don't really want to work for this person anymore. And I left and I uh, looked at my husband. My husband was a stay-at-home dad, is a stay-at-home dad. I was the breadwinner. And he encouraged me to blow the whistle and quit my job and said we would figure it out. And then uh, encouraged me to start a business. And I started a business thinking it would really help me be a better mom. It would help me, you know, I could work from home. I could be around my little kids who at the time were, gosh, at the time I started my business, they were probably three years old and six years old. So I really started out with the best of intentions of having the best of both worlds. And what ended up happening is I really liked that feeling of success. Obviously, I needed to make the money. And um, what I found is that uh, the success called me more than being the mom called me, Um, And I ended up being this crazy, successful person and realizing here a few years ago that my headstone was going to say she was a great forensic accountant and it was going to say nothing about me being a good wife, a good mom, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So I started realizing that, uh, you know, all of this success and this money wasn't all what it cracked up to be.
0: And. It was bad enough that at one point you almost lost your marriage. You want to tell us about that?
1: Yes. So, you know, uh, you've been talking a lot, um, or at least all of the podcasts I've been hearing are a lot about, you know, just the roles of a man and a woman. And I just keep nodding my head, like yelling, yes. Yes, this is exactly what happens and nobody tells us this is what's going to happen. But we really, I 100% believe we have biological needs that nobody really talks about. Mm -hmm. And um, flipping, flipping those roles was really great in terms of the fact that my kids never went to daycare and they always got to be at home and they always had a parent at their games. Um, But I don't think we talk about, as a woman, what what we lose out on and as a marriage, how that really upsets the apple cart. And um, we really, I think, at least for me as a woman, I needed a man to take care of me and he thought he was taking care of me cause he's taking care of the house and the kids and he's doing the laundry and cooking dinner most nights. Um, but that's really, I, what I thought was it's task based, mm-hmm. um, And it's not really what we need on a deeper level. And, um, I got really resentful. He got really confused and we, um, spent several years in a really deep funk and really talking about, you know, how we, how's this going to look when we split up this house and split up this marriage.
0: Now I want to come back eventually to how you, um, both found your way out of that for sure. Um, cause that's critical.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I want to hone in on that, that point that you had told me earlier that you just touched upon now where you said that at the time it just made sense for you yeah. to be the breadwinner and for him to stay home. Now I, the reason why I want to hone in on that is because I can't tell you how many times I've heard this from clients of mine when I asked them why, they initially did things the way they did it and the answer is always the same just as you said mm. which is that i just e- either for whatever reason something wasn't working on the guy's part and it was on the woman's part and rather than the woman sort of stepping back and supporting her her husband to say you'll figure it out you'll figure it out i have faith you know we'll we'll do this they jumped in to become the breadwinner because it, quote unquote, made sense. And it's a perfectly logical way to think, right? And like you said, no one tells you why this might not work out 10 years down the road. Um, So I love that you said that, because that's, again, just the common theme is that so many people get themselves into that boat, thinking that there's no difference between whether a woman stays home or the man stays home. And there isn't for the kids so much, although that's somewhat debatable, I guess people have different feelings about that. I'm not as concerned about, I'm. I'm and when there's no nanny, no kids, I'm happy. <laughs> I mean, no, excuse me, no daycare, uh, not no kids. Exactly. Um, I just want someone home. In fact, the very first book I ever wrote 20 years ago, that's the very first thing I said is no matter which parent stays home, this is what we need to do as a society. So um, it, the, the the larger issue is what happens to the marriage invariably down the road. Do you want to speak to that a little bit and give some examples of what you learned the hard way with that?
1: Sure. And, and for us, it, it was simply a matter of, well, this makes most sense because he always made more money than me. He always had blue collar jobs and I had the white collar job, obviously, as a professional accountant. And then we kind of got into this situation. He actually got in a bad car accident, not, no fault of his own, and started taking on more as he got better, t- started taking on more roles at home. And obviously, that took a lot of burden off of me. Mm-hmm. And it was at that time that my career, I was five or six years into my career, and it, it, I was my trajectory of making money was much more promising than his was ever going to be, even though up until that point, he always made more money than I did. And so it actually just sort of these, these this, this, this,
0: when you look at it so, just in the numbers,
1: yeah, the yeah, jumble yeah. of inf- the jumble of circumstances—he was already staying home. This, I, it just made the most sense, right? And I right. liked what I did, and I thought—and I will tell you—I didn't want to be a bad mom, and—and and that's a whole other podcast. But I—I I felt like I had the night. I have a nice, wonderful, beautiful husband, and I thought, well, he will be the better parent, and I won't mess up my kids. And so it was sort of all of those things working together mm-hmm. that made me think, that, that made that decision for us.
0: So and I want to so, take a little detour there if I could, because yeah. that's interesting. So
1: mm-hmm.
0: you ne- were you somebody who was never felt that maternal urge as far as thinking about the future and I want to have kids and all of that? Is that what you oh. meant when you said he'd be the better parent?
1: No, I always knew I wanted kids and I actually thought about staying home with them. Um, But I had a very difficult childhood and Mm -hmm. a very difficult mother. And I was afraid that I was going to be her and do what I did not want to recreate that with them.
0: Did you hear my podcast last year um, being about, um, oh goodness,
1: Erica Comasar?
0: Erica Comasar, in the book Being There About Prioritizing Motherhood in the First Three oh, Years. Oh,
1: no, and I haven't t- that one.
0: Yeah. You should listen to that because somewhere in the course of that podcast, she talks about how she works with moms who really, who exactly like you just said, like it's they don't, they're going to be competent. Um, in that arena for for their own because of their own upbringing. So they just go to work um, instead because they think that would be better or whatever. Anyway, so she that's what made me think of that. And it was just an interesting take on the whole issue of staying home that I never heard before. But anyway, go ahead.
1: Right. Continue. So, so all of those all of those circumstances just made it make sense on an intellectual level, right? And what you don't realize, and it, it's insidious, and it comes in over time, and it sometimes manifests itself as stupid as, you know, you did the laundry wrong, or, you know, you messed up my favorite pink dress. We still laugh about the pink dress, <laughs> um, but but you, you, re- you realize how much you're missing, but you're able to rationalize. Oh, but I'm doing this because it's for the better of my family and I'm the one making the money. And you get to the ball game in your suit and you're running late because you've been in court or you've been in traffic and you get there at the ball game with all the other moms in their jeans and their t-shirts and their ball caps and you're in your suit and your high heels and your, you know, pantyhose. And and the mom looks at you and says, oh, you're Thomas's mom. Like, I've never seen you here before. And, and, and that you just realize not just, you know, that woman digged at you. That's okay. or Whatever. But it's like, damn, I'm missing a lot here. Um, but in the marriage, it, it became, I went to work. I'm the boss at work. I am my own boss. I'm the boss of my employees. I make decisions every day. So then guess what happens when I come home? I make all the decisions. And he, I like having that control. And he doesn't like making me upset. So he abdicated any, you know, sort of decision making so that so as to not make me upset. And then that really upset me because he's not taking care of me and he's not being a man and he's not, um, you know, taking control of everything. And gosh dang it, why do I have to decide what's for dinner? I have had to make all of these decisions all day and you can't even decide what's for dinner. I mean, it became all of those sorts of things where you, I just took 180% control of everything, uh, thinking that's what I liked. And I, he being the nice guy, didn't want to upset the apple cart and he liked, you know, not being the bad guy. And so, you know, it just became this vicious circle of, um, of, of dysfunction, Dysfunction is a great word. Dysfunction in a marriage. Yeah. So
0: what happened? You you said, so how did it come to a head and and then what?
1: Um we I mean come to
0: a head meaning, you know, when
1: you're
0: thinking about divorce. Yeah.
1: Yeah. We had talked about it. Um, I remember I stayed at least one night in a hotel locally and I came home one day or you know, we were getting the kids ready for bed one night. We have two boys who are now 17 and 20, um, and they were little and they were brushing their teeth like they do at night. And, um, their little toothbrushes were, you know, in the little cup in the, in the bathroom. And I just remember thinking it would not be fair for them to take their toothbrushes from one house to another every other week or every other weekend. That is not acceptable. Just like before they were even created, we had decided that they were not going to be in daycare. Um, why couldn't we just make the decision that they were not going to have two different houses, that their two toothbrushes were going to stay at their house, and then we would have to just figure this out? And um, my dad had just died, and my one of my dad's favorite sayings was, sis, sometimes you have to fake it until you make it. And I thought, well, what if I just have to fake it for the next, you know, eight years? I think that was about how old my youngest was at the time. What if we just have to fake it? What if we just have to get along and get through this so that all so that they at least have a home that they are coming home to and it's not two different houses? And it really became more of a decision than it became a feeling. And. Um, not too long after that, you know, I remember, like, you know, I've talked about Dr. Laura, but I remember a call where she said something like, well, sometimes feelings follow the actions. And so I just started acting nice, even though I didn't feel like being nice. Mm-hmm. And my gosh, he responded. And and so, you know, it really started as simple as the story stupid toothbrushes, um, and making a decision about what I was going to do to try and make this work. And deep down, Suzanne, I knew that 98% of the problems were me. Um, and I had to accept that and figure out how I was going to fix, fix that.
0: I'm taking a deep breath. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. Um, during the time prior to making that decision, were you confused as to why things weren't working for a number of years?
1: Oh, if you had told me on my, like, we were different, Suzanne, we were madly in love. We were compatible as friends. He is the nicest person you'd ever want to meet. Just a dear, dear person. And if you had told me on my wedding day that we would be facing this, I would have laughed at you and told you to get out of my face. <laughs> that there would be no way, no possible way that this would ever happen to us. No way. And to have it be this bad was embarrassing. I mean, talk about feeling like a failure, which is the worst thing somebody who quote is successful wants to feel. Mm. I mean, it's, you, who do I talk to? Right. Yeah, I didn't Right. have anybody to talk to. Right. It was just, it was, um, isolating, confusing. I was mad. I was sad. I was all of the above.
0: When you got married, things were perfect. You were both in love and life was good. Then somewhere along the line, everything changed. She changed, or maybe he did. Either which way, now your relationship feels, well, hard. I coach husbands and wives who feel lonely, disrespected, or misunderstood in their relationship. So many women today are desperate for their husbands to step up to the plate, to make a decision and to stick to it, to lead rather than to follow. Ladies, you have the power to make it happen. Men respond best to women who are grounded in their feminine core. As for husbands, so many of them want their wives to stop nagging and to just trust them, to smile more and to complain less, to look at them the way they did when they were first dating. Men, you have the power to make it happen. Women respond best to men who are grounded in their masculine core. The secret to lasting love rests in the masculine-feminine dance. Once you master it, your relationship will no longer be difficult. You'll be moving with the biological tide rather than against it. And that makes marriage smooth sailing. If you're struggling in your relationship, if you feel frustrated or alone, I can help. Just go to SuzanneBanker.com, that's S-U-Z-A-N-N-E-V-E-N-K-E-R.com, and click on the coaching button at the top. Don't wait another minute to acquire the mindset you need to find love and to sustain it. It's so much easier than you think. That's SuzanneVenker.com. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so there are two two things I want to hone in on. One was a story that you told me that stuck with me mm-hmm. from last week when you were explaining um, about a young girl, I think it was mm-hmm. in her 20s, maybe she was a college graduate, and she, and she basically was asking, how do I become you? And what did you tell her?
1: So I mentor a lot of girls, a lot of folks in our industry look to me as a leader. Now I've been doing this a long time. I'm a speaker, so I'm, I'm well known in our industry and I get requests for mentoring. And a lot of these people, they sort of look at me and they go, Oh, look, she's got a successful business. She wrote a book, she speaks, you know? Um, and so they see all the trappings of that successful person. And I think that's very enticing, to most people I know it was to me and she called me and she talked to me and about her you know what's going on in her career and she had a little kid who was two or three and they were thinking about having another baby and she and she was just telling me that and then also telling me that her career goals were to be like me. And I took a deep breath and I said, I'm going to ask you something that is not anything you would have ever expected out of a mentoring call in a business. And she said, okay. And I go, are you totally and 100% willing to let that baby's first um, words not be mama? Are you willing to not see that baby take its first steps? Are you willing to miss all of that? She's like, well, no. And then I said, "Then you don't want to be me." I said because when the phone call from the client calls and there's a really big case, you're gonna take the case even if that baby is crying for its mom. And I said that's just nature. I don't explain it. And I said um, I, if you're willing to miss all of that, you can be me, but I wouldn't recommend it. I said you have the rest of your life to work you only have this one time for your babies to be small and i said we can have it all we just can't have it all at the same time and nobody flip and tells us that ever <laughs> okay? ever ever and i said That's... be them and she Go started ahead. she just like got silent she didn't start crying mm-hmm. and she said thank you she goes i've just been feeling like, this is what I'm supposed to do. She was talking about being with her kid. She goes, but everything I'm ever told is that I can have it all. And then I can do both, but I don't feel like I'm very good at doing both. And I go, that's because you're a human. <laughs> I, I said, There's no way. I said, it's the biggest lie that was ever sold to us is that we can do both or have it all. We, I am, I am the epitome of success and I almost lost it all. And I am much more willing to lose the money and the business and the nice house and the fancy car and, and all of that if it means that I have a marriage and the kids and somebody holding my hand when I die. Which one do you want?
0: Tell me about your relationship with your kids. And how it changed from uh, before versus now. And what do they... Like, how do they see you and your shift today? How do they rectify that with before? And what are their thoughts on this whole matter?
1: My oldest, um, my oldest, up until about a year ago, when we took him to college, was really resentful of me. And he, I will never, this is a great, another great story I wrote about it. But he came into our bedroom. He was a senior. So it was about a year ago. It was the winter and he was upset and sheepish, and he says, "Well, I need to tell you guys something." And I'm, you know, you brace yourself like crap what's coming. Mm-hmm. And he says, "I'm failing math." And I looked at him, and he said. And I know mom that you're going to get upset because, but he, he starts crying and he says, but I'm not as smart as you. I'm not as good at school as you. And he's crying and he's upset and he's failing math. And I looked at him and I said, and he said, I'm never going to be as good as you at school. And I looked at him and I said, well, you don't think I already know that? And he said, what do you mean? And I said, well, Jake, I'm really good at school. And yes, I'm good at math. I'm I'm an accountant. (laughs) I said, and I can do that all day long in my sleep. But Jake, you can take down an engine and put it back together again. And you're 17 years old. Do you think your mom could go out there and take that? He has old Porsches from the 1980s and he... (laughs) He, he's, he buys them and fixes them up and flips them. And he's really, really good at it. And I, I said, do you think that I could do any of that? And he said, well, I I don't know. I'm just, I just turn wrenches and you're really smart. And I said, maybe if you just focused on what you do really well, that's all you need to be doing. You don't need to worry about whether or not you're going to be like me. I said, I'm going to be proud of you if you're doing what you do well and you work hard. And so we had this whole conversation and that sort of started it with him to sort of start taking down some of those walls and him starting to realize, um, because what would happen is he wouldn't tell me stuff or, and that's normal for a child and especially a boy, but, you know, he would tell his dad stuff and he would say, you can't tell mom she's going to get mad or you can't tell mom she's going to be disappointed. And, and, you know, I started hearing these things and it just wrecked me, you know, like I have totally screwed these children up so badly. And so, um, so he went off to college really, really resentful and really couldn't wait to leave. And um, it all sort of came to a head last Thanksgiving when his little brother, we, we, had this big thanksgiving down in Arizona and his little brother said Jake you don't understand mom's not like that anymore mom is mom is totally open and you know they started having this whole conversation so my oldest came home because of covid and it was like the best thing that could have ever happened in our family because it was like we were a family again but it was completely peaceful And it was nice. And it was, um, you know, this young man becoming a man and becoming responsible and being able to come to his parents and understanding also that people screw up and people can change when they take responsibility. And so... Um, it was harder for my oldest cause I think he bore the brunt of some things. Um, whereas my youngest, my youngest is also very quiet and he's also very, um, attentive. He kind of sees all things. And so I think the youngest, they sort of learn from what's going on with the oldest. And so, um, yeah, it's been a very interesting time. I'm
0: going to read something that you wrote a paragraph okay. and then I have a question. hmm You said, if I wanted to change how I was spending my time, I had to change my relationship with money. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: The two go hand in hand. I had to be willing to look at the whole picture. I had to be willing to step out of the fear that clients would go away or money would go away or we would be destitute. My husband had to be willing to look at the whole picture with me. Mm So. Is that what led to, so just to repeat, although I've said this at the beginning, but I'll say it several more times. The website is let's get com, where you have a section there called money masters. And you've written a couple of pieces so far that are just really in line regarding money and the and our relationship with money and how, um, how significant it is that we sort of get that straight if we want to be happy and live productive lives. So, right. um, Is that, was was that the initial idea of, for, for the website to sort of connecting your background with money, like to explain people why, what the connection there is with the website and what you do?
1: So, um, I, I, it's going to sound crazy, but I believe money in a way is energy, right? There's energy around money and money. I have seen people think about what I do for a living, right? I investigate people who steal money from other people. I investigate people. I, I go to court and talk about people who are in dispute, usually because they're using money punitively against somebody else. And so I have watched how people use money uh, for wonderful, wonderful things. I have sat in rooms where, you know, people are giving away loads of money to really great causes and and money can just have this really fantastic, wonderful energy around it. And I have sat in, in a courtroom or with clients and I have seen that money um, can act, be used as a punitive tool against people and, I, you know, and all in between. And so um And I, I believe that people and and myself included, sometimes we look at money as, gosh, if I don't have it, then I'm nothing. Or if I have it, then I'm everything. Look at our culture. That's like a
0: whole podcast of its own.
1: Seriously. I mean, and so, um, when we look at, when we, when we believe that money, um, is not there for us. I, I tend to believe it won't be there for us. And when we believe that if we don't have it, we are nothing, we start to make decisions that probably go against our human nature, which is what? To love, to have relationships, to have connection. Definitely. And, and when I started to, to realize this, that That my need to have money and to take care of my family and to have success, and quite frankly, all of that's ego-driven and fear-driven, when I realized that those were the reasons I was making my decisions and not based on, well, how close am I to my husband and how involved am I with my children and how do they feel about me, when I completely stopped making decisions about that and made making decisions about those worldly things... My my life got turned upside down. And so um, I started reading and talking about money. And I really, really, Suzanne, I realize that right now, especially with covid, you know, my let's get real life is sort of a, a mishmash of everything. But I I for me it's let's get real is all about the fact that if we're going to get real, then we have to start talking about all of these backwards. Um, These anti-human nature messages. And a lot of that goes with money. And I I understand money and I understand these concepts and I happen to be really good at explaining them in a way that people understand that I think that's what makes me a good at my job. And so why can't I use this on a bigger platform? But oh, by the way, I am a successful person who says, guess what? Look at everything that I've missed. Look at everything that I almost lost. Guess what? You can turn this around and still have it all—not just be okay, but be really wonderful. Um, and and take it from me: don't don't put a bomb through your marriage, or you know, abdicate your responsibilities to your kids and throw them in daycare. You know, here are some things that you should understand—not just. Just from an actual successful person uh, that all of us I think would like to be and what can I share?
0: You wrote, well, first of all, is the purpose of let's Get Real simply informational? would you say? I mean I, I mean, I heard everything you just said yes. about what you wanted to share, but I mean is, the, is that it's like a it's like a landing page for thinking about um, all of these issues from a different perspective. Is that accurate?
1: That's accurate.
0: And so the money section, the one that stood out to me that we can talk about just for a second, since you're the money gal, and yeah. you're connecting it with these hugely important ideas, um, is the one that you wrote about shame.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: It says, let go of shame. and. You're helping people connect, and this leads into your story as to why you made the decisions you did initially with your career and how you changed your tune later, and it goes to what young women are told today. So it's very, very significant, and we are never taught to think about it in this way. But you wrote that we can't really talk about money until we deal with the shame that we carry in our money relationships. And then you gave some examples. You said, you know what I'm talking about. (laughs) <laughs> and then you here's the, here's the list. I'm embarrassed about the amount of debt I have. Yep. I grew up poor and I don't want anyone to know. I make mm-hmm. really good money and I have nothing to show for it. Mm-hmm. I don't have enough savings. If I'm yeah. not wealthy, I won't be accepted. And then you wrote, you may think shame and money relationships only relates to scarcity of resources, so you may be surprised by these. I am embarrassed by my wealth. I make mm-hmm. great money but would like more. If I mm-hmm. didn't earn And the money I have, wait, I didn't earn any of the money I have. It was just given to me.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: What's wrong with me that I trusted her with my money, this kind of stuff. I don't understand how to read my financial statements. It's all really, really interesting stuff.
1: Everything that I deal with and my own money life journey everybody deals with this shame, but nobody talks about it. And, you know, obviously I have clients every day. They're like, what's wrong with me that I trusted her to, to run my company. And she stole from me and I didn't see it coming. I hear that one all the time. And that's in my book, but I, you know, for me, I will tell you, um, you know, for me, I made a lot of money early in my career and we didn't have anything to show for it. I spent a lot of money um, unwisely. And then, you know, I got straight about that. But I tell you, Suzanne, we bought a really nice house. We live in a pretty house and I was embarrassed. I didn't want anybody to come to my house. I, um, I told my husband, gosh, if, you know, if, you know, what do people are going to think about us that we're just the rich, you know, the -hmm. rich assholes, you know, sorry about the bad language, but, but that, in my family, you know, the rich people were not very nice people, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? You learn those lessons. And so, uh, you know, I know somebody who grew up very wealthy and has a trust fund. And so that person doesn't have to work. And there's a lot of shame around Mm -hmm. the fact that um, all of the friends work and this person doesn't have to. And how, uh, so I've seen it on, on a level of, I make money and I'm ashamed about it. But then, you know, I had somebody after I wrote that call me and say, I have all of this credit card debt and my husband doesn't know. And I'm so embarrassed. And um, about four weeks ago, this person emailed me and said, I told my husband about it and we've made a plan. And, you know, by January, it's going to be paid off. Thank you so much for talking to me about that. I had another guy tell me, you know, that, uh, his mom as a teenager took all of his money and, you know, drank it away and he's never had much to show for it. And we talked through all of those concepts and, um, oh my gosh, just in the last few months, He's totally turned around some of the things that he's doing with his business and and how that's changed his life, just trying to let go of some of that shame. And so it's been, um, you know, I really started this right before COVID and then COVID hit. And I got to tell you, I really took a huge step back because I thought, gosh, how many people are losing their jobs right now? How many people are retracting and trying to figure this out? And quite frankly, I didn't know how to message what I really wanted to say about money because I felt like, um, gosh, you know, I di- I just didn't want to be tone deaf in terms of what people were dealing with in their own lives with this pandemic situation. So I really took a step back, but I 100 percent intend to get back to money and energy and shame and all of these stories about how we, we don't need to be afraid about money or not understand it. And. It's a powerful tool, um, but it's not the only tool in our life and it's okay not to be rich and it's okay to be rich. I mean, whatever. Um, but I, I'm excited to be talking more about that.
0: This is so interesting. I just, it's a, it's such a great angle to the whole, um, larger theme of, count being Mm countercultural. Um, that's what I love about your story is that, I mean, people will know listening to this, why I wanted to talk with you because your own personal story goes right into the, you know, things that I care about and talk about, but the money end of it is what is so fascinating Mm -hmm. because that, I mean, I (laughs) I mean, I seriously could have you back and we could do a whole show just on money and shame and, and those feelings and those Behaviors and the, you know and how it affects your relationship and how your soul and how it affects your mental health. I mean that's just a whole thing in and of itself. So I know we're barely scratching the surface. I'm just trying to give people an um, overview of right. um, of what you do and where they can find out more. And um, we can certainly delve into this again later. Yes. And I just really appreciate your sharing your story. And as I said at the beginning of this. Segment. I want to start having more people on, just everyday folks who have really, really important messages, counter-cultural messages. I have to throw that in there to share yeah. because that's yes. what I'm all about and that's what I'm interested in. And I want to, I want people to hear the kind of things that they would never hear when they turn on their televisions ever. Correct. Right. Right. Because those things that you're not hearing, those sins of omission, if you will, those are the things that are going to better your life.
1: They really are and and you know I I stop I do a little bit of divorce work. A lot of people need a forensic accountant during divorce because I, I swear everybody believes their spouse is stealing the money and hiding it away and uh, they hire me to figure that out. Uh, you'd be surprised how often that does not happen. Um, uh, but money in a marriage is a super fascinating, um, that's a whole nother podcast so, as well. I know. Yeah. And it's funny that you say that. So that's
0: on my list to cover. Yeah. And I couldn't decide okay. whether I wanted to do it with my new bill and Suzanne hour that I'm doing once a month with my husband or whether I wanted to do a solo pod- podcast on that. But I might yeah. have you back on for that because you're the expert on the money and in the marriages. And I'll just juxtapose that with what I see in my, in my um, coaching, which is clients who are up to their eyeballs in debt. Oh, and I haven't. Is. There's some hiding going on, but that isn't the, th- of it, the crux not. of it. It's It's more the the debt and and separating their money, you know, c- his and hers, yes. and this mentality that is undercutting their marriage from the get-go, and it's, it's very frustrating for me
1: hundred percent. I believe you're you're a hundred percent right. I've never understood that. Um, but I am here to tell you, you are one hundred percent. You said this in a podcast. I don't know which one about you just sort of mentioned it. And you're a hundred percent right in terms of that separation. It is a separation of a bank account. But I am here to tell you it is a separation in a marriage. Um, it is a real actual definitive separation. And I think it's detrimental.
0: Agreed. I mean, it can't, I mean, these people who I'm working with are on the verge of divorce and it's it all is interwoven with this. There's yes. just, there's no way to separate them. So no. yeah. So I, I send the people who, who really have, cause I, you know, my specialty isn't to delve into their money issues. So I tend to send them over to the Dave Ramsey plan. <laughs> I don't know yeah. if you're familiar with Dave Ramsey, Oh, very but, very. Yeah. So, so I'm a big fan and I just say, okay, now you need to go over there and fix your money over there and then come that's over right. here for this other thing. Work, work them in conjunction and it'll, it'll work. But um, yeah, that's a whole subject. So I really would like to have you back on for that at a later date, if you're willing.
1: Of course.
0: Awesome. This has been really great, Tiffany. I really appreciate you coming on. And um, is there, are there any last words you want to say or you want to repeat where people can find you? Maybe that's good.
1: Yeah, well, I just want to say thank you for what you're doing and how well you do it. And um, I'm so happy to be able to support your voice and your ideas. And, you know, people want to find me at letsgetreallife.com. You can find me on Facebook, too. And, um, you know, I'm always happy to help folks, especially with their money related issues and all of the turmoil that goes along with it. So, yeah, you
0: might not know who you might hear from just on that alone. Exactly. <laughs> awesome. Okay, Tiffany, thanks. And we will hopefully talk again soon.
1: Thanks so much, Suzanne.
0: Bye-bye. And that ends this hour of the Suzanne Banker show. Don't forget to tune in next week when yours truly does her first solo podcast. Finally, don't forget to continue the conversation on Facebook. Just type in The Suzanne Benker Show in the Facebook search bar and you will find it. Also, please recommend this podcast to one friend you think would enjoy it. And don't forget to leave us a review on whatever platform you're now using. Finally, if you have a question or comment for me, you can email me at Suzanne at the Suzanne Show dot com. Thanks for listening, everyone. Have a great week.